Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Good morning or good evening, listeners, I guess, depending on if you're currently in Chicago, Illinois, or somewhere, comma, Australia. I am one of the co-ghosts of Horror Vanguard. I am Ash Darrow, uh, joined not as always by not the Lickrit guy, as John could not be here today. He is currently battling interdimensional ghouls in a blood-soaked quest to achieve ultimate victory uh, in some... Highly metaphoric, uh, very vague, but high fantasy lyrics. Um, I am, however, uh, and this is very exciting, joined by Bill Peel, author of Tonight It's a World We Bury. How's it going, Bill? Great. Uh, great, Ash. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you are welcome. I'm really excited. I'm so glad that you came on. This book was fantastic. Fantastic to read through. It's good to hear. Thanks. So yeah. I guess... Uh, uh, could you let our guests know, or our, our guests, our listeners, you are our guests, could you, <laughs> listeners, could you let our guest know a little bit about you? Basically, uh, I'm no one in particular, like I'm not, uh, I don't really see myself as like a media person in the slightest. Um, <laughs> I write from time to time, but that's about it. Uh, and I've written this book for repeater books um, about black metal and left wing cultural thought, like broadly, like communist anarchist blah 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 mm-hmm. um yeah so that's my biography it's pretty short <laughs> hey that's great short and sweet is never bad in podcast land feel free to plug anything that you have the book itself uh your, where can our listeners find you social media etc and so forth uh, of course um yeah again the book is tonight it's a will be berry black metal red politics um it's out on repeater um or repeater books i should be more specific um and my social media is just at young euronymous on twitter and that's it i'm i'm very offline i should be more offline frankly but yeah it is what it is i mean i think it would do us all good to be much more offline and much more into black metal (laughs) (laughs) i see that as a path of healing so your book your book is is fantastic and incredibly interesting um could you could you tell us a little bit about it I just finished reading it yesterday, actually, and, and I really, really, really enjoyed this one. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's it's weird looking, reading it back now. I uh, from time to time, like I I do surprise myself. Um, but basically, like the the book started out as an attempt, not necessarily to like reclaim black metal as i think that phrase is kind of thrown around a bit too much Mm -hmm. but more or less to like use black metal for socialist or communist purposes more or less so like identify certain conventions that are pretty specific to black metal um which form the chapters Mm -hmm. of the book like distortion and secrecy among others um, and sort of see how they can interact with left-wing thought in ways that I consider to be productive. So, like, I talk about uh, the final chapter is about heresy, and I talk about a little bit about, like, the Marxist critique of, like, religion historically, um, and then also about the black metal critique of religion, and I see, you know, what uh, what they can get from each other, more or less. That's an example of my approach. And I mean, that was one of the first things that really connected. Well, I mean, so the literal first thing that really the hook that got me immediately was was uh, quite frankly, the very first lines in the book. Uh, the the first thing it opens with is an Asaphal quote to take part in the destruction of the world as it presently exists with eyes wide open to the world that will follow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I loved seeing that in the context of a book on black metal because those that line could easily be inserted into any given black metal album. No, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of bands that are um, kind of inspired by like by Bataille at the very least or Asafei or Asafael or like again, mm-hmm. Nietzsche is like a very common uh, oh, yeah, reference in black metal. Totally. Yeah. That got me thinking too about all of all of Marx's lines about like galerte and gore and the gothic and like all of that stuff just slots so easily into kind of the general black metal aesthetic 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Like one line that I was considering having as the um what is it, as like the how do I put it, the epigraph for the book was Marx's quote about primitive accumulation, where he says, What was it? Is uh mm. capitalism is written into the annals in history in letters of blood and fire. I think that's how it goes. Yes. That's always been one of my oh, favorite quotes God. from Marx is like a gothic author. I'm sure John would probably appreciate that a fair bit as well. Oh, definitely. And, and speaking of John in this book, uh, John actually wrote an endorsement for this book. So so listeners, this is uh, another title that's officially Horror Vanguard approved. <laughs> Certified. <laughs> I didn't I did not I did not know that he did that when I was I was reading through the endorsements. I was like, oh oh my god, Don Raid wrote an endorsement. That's amazing. Holy shit, John's here. <laughs> <laughs> and I have I, I should say as well, I've spoken with John on a different podcast for uh zero books, maybe mm-hmm. a couple uh, maybe a couple months ago with John and Fabian from Dawn Raid and uh and Adam from Acid Horizon. Yeah. That was very fun. Excellent. We'll have a link to that in the show notes too, so you can get you can get more amazing uh, Bill Peel slash tonight. It's a world we bury content. Yeah, I, I also I also really appreciated that right off the bat. One of the things that you kind of navigate away from is I think the more simplistic route, which would have been a, a glossary of red anarchist black metal bands. Yeah. Uh, which not a bad resource to have, but the fact that you kind of approach things more conceptually to what black metal is as a sonic experience and map that back on to a left political approach like that phenomenal brilliant brilliant way to construct this book absolutely loved that thank you yeah that was always kind of my goal from the start like i didn't really uh, it sounds bad but i didn't really have that much of a goal when i set out to like to write the book but the basically the first thing i thought was like okay i don't want this to be like a history of left-wing black metal bands like and like you said like that would be mm-hmm. useful as like a you know as maybe like a reference full of primary sources right in the same way that uh the lords of chaos book are or some other black metal books are yeah but i i don't know i I think the stuff i was reading at the time was too weird and so i thought i kind of need to incorporate more of that stuff and i think that's where the uh the left theoretical part entered the picture oh we are we are here for too weird uh uh, you're in good company for that it's a phenomenal book. Uh, it's it'll it's I, I think by the time this episode is out, it'll be out everywhere on this planet from repeater books. So uh, yeah. listeners, go check it out. There'll be links down in the comments for the show. Uh, and I wanted to kick things off for our listeners who might not be too black metal savvy. If you could give us a quick the one hundred and one on the genre and some of the more infamous, if not politically favorable, bands. Sure thing, yeah. So, uh, black metal is basically like it emerged from what was happening to thrash metal and death metal towards the late 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s, um, where it kind of took the more extreme parts of thrash, like, uh, I mean, the more mainstream bands would be like Slayer or Sodom or Creator or, or uh, bands like that. And kind of added, like, no, I should say subtracted a lot of like technicality and like musical uh, skill mm-hmm. on to like to put it crudely. And I consider that a positive, but I think that is a fact. Um, when you listen to those early black metal albums, like a thing I do remind people of is that you know, like bands like uh, Dark Throne and Mayhem and Burzum were all like 15 year olds at that point. Um, and uh, it really it kicked off in norway it went across like the scandinavian region very quickly um and like musically it's Mm -hmm. kind of characterized by like i said pretty like limited technical ability um quite high-pitched screams no bass whatsoever um if they have bass you can't hear it (laughs) um I, I, usually, I usually compare it to like a high-pitched kind of over-the-top tremolo or reverbed version of death metal, like minus the more technical elements of death metal. Yeah. 
And mm-hmm. so I should say the bands that are sort of associated with black metal, at least in those early days, are Mayhem, Dark Throne, Burzum, um, Venom, depend like some people uh, define them as a black metal band. I don't. I think mm-hmm. they're more indebted to like English heavy metal, like Motorhead or, uh, you know, Judas Priest, maybe. Um, I, I will. I'll, de- I'll definitely agree with that. Yeah. And like the, the reason why I, I didn't set out to like reclaim black metal with the book was because I don't really mm-hmm. like the language of reclaiming when there is nothing there. There is no history to reclaim, right? Like black metal started out as a fairly like openly right wing genre. Um, like, uh, Burzum is quite famous and like Varg Vikernes from Burzum is most famous for more or less being like a neo-Nazi. Um, he was less open about it at that time, but it's a, it's a fact now, like everyone knows who Varg is mostly because of his, uh, outspoken politics. But even Mm -hmm. then, like there are quotes from people in the Norwegian scene from the nineties saying that like more or less everybody in the scene was right wing in one way or another. Um, Mm -hmm. how true that is, is up for a fair amount of debate. But there was definitely an atmosphere in the scene that was fairly like, yeah, they they wanted a return to feudal Europe. And I think that manifests itself in fairly open right wing politics. Definitely early black metal and even a lot of black metal that comes out today is still even even if it's not intentionally and outspokenly sworn to some kind of fascist politic it still is very ready to adopt fascist aesthetics fascist language and symbology for the shock value alone which is something you talk about in your book yeah the um, black metal artists gravitating towards that stuff for essentially shock value yeah or and yeah either either kind of taking it for the shock value which is what a lot of bands do genuinely do or you might have bands that do genuinely hold white nationalist beliefs, but kind of hiding oh, behind, kind of hiding behind that uh, the idea that their white nationalism is for shock value. Um, yes, one of yeah, the, black one metal of, plausible deniability. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the earliest references I make in the book is to this band from Australia called Spear of Longinus, um, mm-hmm. who like every every single album and album cover and song name they have more or less references nazism in one way or another right um (laughs) but they they've said in all of their publications and all of their uh you know facebook posts and press releases and stuff we are not a political band i'm like come the fuck on like how what do you mean you're not a political band um but this is this is fairly common in other bands as well you know to hide behind either shock value or this kind of like vulgar centrism that's like i know we're above Mm -hmm. we're we're above politics is a big one um but then you know yeah they might be friends with uh people who are nazis for example um yeah yeah, it's it's it's, i was just gonna say it's really common to hear a black metal band uh, write write lyrics about concentration camps and then talk about them being oh we're apolitical we're just doing that because it's gory and it's intense and then they put their records out on a neo-nazi label yeah exactly like um the way that like certain strains of death metal have kind of adopted like extreme gore and body horror aesthetics black metal might adopt mm-hmm. fascist aesthetics but argue that there is like no political background to that. And in some cases that is, mm-hmm. I, I do believe that's genuinely true, but you have to draw the line somewhere with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes, it becomes kind of this inescapable thing that you enter into. Like once you start evoking political symbology in the kind of work you're putting out, you need to also have the, like, I don't know, like, morbid evil strength to grapple with that politics and i think like shirking that responsibility is kind of a sign of creative weakness in a way or in the case of a lot of these bands it's them just laundering ethno-nationalism through one layer of plausible deniability as we discussed a moment ago yeah exactly and i've i've said this on other podcasts as well but like to a certain point it's a good thing that 
being a neo-Nazi is not commercially viable, right? That like albums oh, about yeah. Nazism mm -hmm. are not commercially viable. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you can very easily smuggle this stuff in. Like a story I've told before as well um, is about how when I started listening to black metal properly when I was like 16 or 17, that kind mm -hmm. of area, a lot of the bands I was listening to were like had associations with Nazis that I just wasn't aware of. Like two of my favorite bands from that period yep. are Noir from France and Drudka from yep. Ukraine. Um, mm -hmm. And the Ukrainian scene is like pretty famous for its Nazi associations. Yep. And there's a big oh, Nazi yeah. festival there. Um, but yeah, at that point, I just wasn't aware of that relationship at all. Yeah, I, I fell in love with black metal in my like late teen years. And then because uh, I mean, when you first listen to black metal, it's just a wave of sound and it's so intense and you can't understand anything. And that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and then shortly, shortly after that, like you start looking at the band T-shirts and you start reading liner notes and lyrics and interviews. And then I kind of immediately fell out of love with black metal for a very long period of time because I was like, oh, this is Nazi rock. Yeah. Which, of course, not not entirely the case, but like it's it's all over the place with black metal. Yeah, and I don't I don't blame people for uh kind of avoiding it um because of that association. Like there was a I think there was a video from TikTok that got posted around on Twitter maybe a month ago. That was a black guy talking about how he just do he doesn't want to get into black metal because of like the racist element. I'm like, okay, that's totally fair. Like, I'm not gonna, you yeah. know, I'm not gonna oh, push totally. anything on you. Like, my book is kind of an effort to like to try to redress that balance, and I hope it does mm -hmm. have that kind of effect. Um, but you know, there is a right wing element that you can't deny is fairly prominent. Yeah, I think your book is definitely going going to help with making politically left black metal much more visible and much more accessible to people, which is one of the things that got me back into black metal. And maybe we can talk about that briefly, just just kind of like like, hey, everyone, there's this thing called red anarchist black metal. So if you if you love the sound of black metal but hate fascism, we've got something for you. Exactly. Yeah. A few of my favorite bands that I think either fit directly or kind of fit maybe tangentially uh Feminazgul, dawn raid um zeal and ardor but mm -hmm. there are there's a lot of uh rabm now yeah absolutely like one of my favorites is uh iskra who have been around for a long time i think mm. they were like one of the first openly and they're very cross punk inspired which explains the politics yeah um mm -hmm. and if you if you look at their lyrics it's hilarious because it is literally just like anarchist essays more or less just screamed yep. um i think over time it's definitely become more sophisticated than that like i said like you said with bands like dawn raid feminine school um but yeah uh rabm as it's usually referred to is it is good because yeah it is it is black metal that is uh you know politically safe i suppose like you can be sure that they're not fascists which is a comfort every now and then <laughs> yes <laughs> it is it is really nice because that's the that's kind of the paradox of enjoying and not just black metal but a lot of the like harsher harsher members of the metal family I love I love like the black metal noise crossover. Maybe my favorite category of music is synth black metal, and and you still have to like. I, I mean, like I find myself doing a lot of homework when I find a new band to try and figure out if they're fascist or not, and that's like, it's it's definitely a barrier to enjoyment sometimes. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. It's kind of uh, there's a Facebook group I'm in which is like specifically for left-wing and anti-fascist black metal. And there's kind of a meme of like, you listen to this band for like a week, you love them, and then you look them up on metal archives and you're like, ah, fuck, yep. like that's ruined yep. the whole thing. Oh my God, the, the metal archives check. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, every, every new band, every new band, I'm like, oh, their sound is so good. And all right, it's time. It's time to go to metal archives and see what they're about. Mm. And then you find out that they're like, drummer was in a band in the 80s that put out an album on a nazi label and now you have to figure out if that was 
because he meant it or was it just you know the general candor of black metal causing that to happen and oh <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a drag oh yeah <laughs> but hey uh uh red anarchist black metal rabm like listen listen to some of these but what are, what are what are some of uh some of the other rabm bands that, that you're listening to these days um oh, so there, there's a new band that i quite like called uh allura from germany um i mm-hmm. talk about them in the secrecy chapter of the book that i really like um they're oh, it's difficult to describe their sound exactly it's it's really like traditional black metal except more bass which you know is refreshing um the band agriculture are really good they're a, a relatively new one um and they're they've just been signed to the flenza who are like a quite big wacky experimental label who uh people are big fans of so yeah really those two are the ones that i've been listening to a lot lately that uh, come out of the top of my head or i mean old liturgy which who were very famous as well oh um, like, oh my god liturgy yeah like i wouldn't describe them as anti-fascist specifically because i don't think there are many references to that but like left wing mm-hmm. certainly oh definitely easily I would also throw in there, there's kind of two, uh, uh, infamous is certainly isn't the right word, uh, but there are two infamous um, RABM compilation albums that I think are just fantastic. There's the uh, uh, Riffs for Reproductive Justice, mm, yes, which has a lot of black metal on it, and it's really good. And then uh, there's, there's the newer one that also has an accompanying book, Black Metal Rainbows. Uh, which is a queer black metal anthology. And I think there's like, how many tracks are on this thing? It's Over a hundred? Yeah, it's a shitload. It's like a hundred and something. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's it's very cheap. I, I, like you can buy it for the price of a regular album, I think, on Bandcamp. Oh, yeah. I, I, bu- I bought that thing months ago, and I am like barely through it. And I'm like listening to it, and like, I'm like, oh my God, this artist that I love is on here? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's a good check as well, right? Where a, if a band is on a compilation like that, you're like, oh, okay, they're cool. Like, automatically, like, sick. Oh, yeah. You know? when, when am I, yeah, like, this? if a band is showing up on one of these compilations, it's always good. And then, like, I also, like, who's who, who's the band retweeting? Who they liking? You know, like, who, who are they trying to connect with? Who do they tour with and play with? Like, those are other, also great ways to check to see if, like, the, the black metal band that you just found are fascists or not <laughs> yeah but um oh. yeah, those two compilation albums are very good i should have i should have mentioned that earlier oh that, that yeah those 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 two are just i mean risk reproduction justice is pretty much legendary at this point there's oh, also that's... neckbeard death camp i don't know what i don't know if they're still <laughs> making music but they were a like a, a, they were a very, very much like a Mimi RABM band that was that was really popular a few years back. Yeah, I feel like they are like an artifact of a different time, even though they haven't been uh, off the scene for that long. Like it's very specifically, like you can tell the kind of uh, you know like alt right movement, like 2016, 2017, The movement that it was reacting to is so mm-hmm. time sensitive, I suppose. Um, if you, I, I feel like, like a, if oh, want, go on, an, go on. I should say, if you want another like meme band, um, <laughs> there is one called Mark's Throne, which is like Dark Throne and Mark's whatever. Um, no, yes, and they're they're fairly meme. Oh like, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually, I think they just released an album that maybe like two weeks ago or something. So they're still operating. So maybe maybe that idea has more longevity than uh the neckbeard death camp, but I'm not sure. I I am so here for Mark's throne. This sounds amazing. <laughs> There's a, there's a, there's a lot of playful fun spirit inside of black metal that that often gets elided, shall we say, by the desire to be perceived as too harsh for mainstream society. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Like um there's a great quote from like towards the start of the Black Metal Rainbows book where it like the book is specifically drawing on like queer theory and stuff like that. And they say, I know, like black metal is often called kind of gay in like a derogatory way, but they just own that. Like, yeah, it's gay. That's it's cool. Like it's camp, it's theatrical. (laughs) Like, yeah, okay, I can I can understand that. 
So this has been this has been an excellent discussion so far on I think Black Metal more uh, broadly your book. Uh, but today we're also here to talk about one of uh, metal's great entries into horror cinema, 1986's Trick or Treat, which is is 100 a movie that someone made. Yeah. Oh, this is this is awkward. I, I've I've never done this before. I've never had to. Usually, usually John sets up the pricey bit. <laughs> okay. So I guess, I, guess I, have to, it, you know, I have or? to. Oh no, I I I write it and, and read it, but usually he he's like, oh, what's this movie about? And so let's just pretend that John just asked me what this movie is about. Sure. This is, I think, our first movie review episode without John. We've done a bunch of interviews without him, but interesting times we live in but anyway here's here's what trick-or-treat is all about (laughs) the first metal song i recall listening to was ozzy osbourne's crazy train that might not have trading value in clout but as far as first steps go i'm not embarrassed by what set me down the path of heavy metal I soon followed Ozzy back to Sabbath, Sabbath to contemporary doom bands like Sleep and Electric Wizard. That branched off into classic death like Venom and psychedelic metal bands. My love of stoner doom had me hungry for fuzz. It was a sonic mycorrhizal balm that healed everything inside me. It was the gold flowing through the cracks of my existence. This devouring sonic moss drove me into the woods. To experimental metal, to noise, to dungeon synth, I'm now digging up cassettes in forgotten prairies and conducting my own spore sorcery. My taste in metal has come to mirror my general approach to left politics, welcoming in its antagonisms, salvaged yet honestly thought through, historic in its strange emergence, and interwoven into something much larger than any one set of minds could ever fully contend. Metal thrives on obscurity. But what happens when that obscurity breaks through the crust of quotidian perception? I'm drawn to the artwork on cans of liquid death. Anything that has the slightest hint of stoner doom psychedelia captures me like bait on the hook. The right combination of vaguely metal aesthetics plays me like a violin plugged into a fuzz pedal. Somewhere, somehow, corners of my mind are willingly sold to, even in the context of a genre that, by certain measures, recoils from commercial success. The Situationist International would have a field day with black metal, both in its constant struggle to shirk the weight of marketing and in its constant recaptured front country. Everyone's music becomes the backdrop to a car insurance commercial in time. Yesterday's unapologetically harsh tune is tomorrow's Olympic torchlighting theme. Yet, in this very decay we can find strength. Hitherto, the history of the working class is one of fearic victories and perseverance through losses. If anyone, any group, is naturally attuned to decay, baby, that's us. Let us wither the branch that reaches out to our own demise. Draw life and pale from the hyphae that would explore our damning poisons. Disregarded capitalistic accelerationist death fetishism in favor of a fecund bursting of necro-solidarity. Bloodied, moldering, and molding, our flesh meets the life force of infinite solidarity in decay as we discuss... Trick or treat. All right, time to rock. Let's let's talk about. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, I had fun. I had fun with that one. I enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, like Venom. Yeah, Michael. <laughs> so, uh, what are what are some of your initial thoughts about Trick or Treat? About today's today's interesting metal movie. I I liked it, I suppose, like as a product of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got all of the 80s like hallmarks, like the kind of over the top high school bullies that are basically like murderers. <laughs> yes. um, the kind of weird, like often lecherous attitude towards like women. Obviously, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. But again, it is it is a product of kind of 80s filmmaking. Um. But also the kind of, I we'll we'll, we'll get back to this later uh, in the show notes. But I I kind of I I love the idea of it as you know like liking metal, but without having to be loyal to its heroes or even the idea of like metal itself. That that I think is something interesting that we can discuss a lot because I think death metal has mythologized 
a lot of it's it's founding artists you know like people like death especially like like they they've gone on to somewhat ironically live a second life as a kind of death metal folk hero yeah absolutely and black metal uh is the same Mm -hmm. yeah death definitely yeah but um no, I yeah, I quite like the movie. I don't know. I've only watched it twice, so I'm sure my opinions on it would change. <laughs> but overall, like yeah, it's like it's over the top in camp, but for what it is, you know, it's not bad. It's it's certainly not as bad as I was expecting it to be. It's it's definitely not the worst uh of of the black metal horror not black metal, metal in general, uh horror movie crossovers. Uh this one does interestingly feature feature Ozzy Osbourne playing a televangelist preaching against the dangers of heavy metal. And Gene Simmons is also yes. in this, so somehow they roped in two two legitimate metal stars into this like no budget movie. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of impressive. Like you can tell Ozzy was just having fun mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Like in this very kind of straight laced, like he's got like a nice haircut and he's yeah, like you said, he's playing like a televangelist who's kind of inciting or like a result of this kind of uh, anti rock moral panic. Um. Yeah, Gene Simmons is like the kind of uh, vaguely douchey like rock radio station guy. I don't think he's I don't think he's supposed to be douchey. Like if you look at <laughs> like uh, from the text point of view, mm-hmm. but I think looking back, you're like, yeah, that guy, that guy's got some stuff going on. No, oh, definitely. So I think maybe that's maybe that's a good place to kind of like kick off the conversation. Is that heavy metal moral panic that this movie is is coming out in so the the film uh features uh legendary and fictitious metal icon sammy kerr which is a great hair metal band guy name i love that uh but one of the clips in there is is him testifying before congress about his music and his lyrics uh which and one of the first things we see in the movie is a d snyder poster so they're very clearly referencing that one time mm. that D. Snyder had to actually testify in front of the United States Congress about the lyrics in his music and about the dangers of hair metal. <laughs> yeah, which is very quaint looking back at it now. Like hair metal is the concern. Yeah, and, and especially in, in like in like a time when like you know we've got like you know death metals in full swing like we've got all these harder kinds of metal out there that are way more intense than anything d snyder is putting out <laughs> that he gets dragged hmm. in front of which i guess is part of the oh, oh no, go, on, go, go ahead on, sorry no it's all right all you well, i was gonna say like the 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 thing with uh like the death metal moral panic at the same time is that it wasn't really popular, mm-hmm. right? Which is like hair metal, you know, the 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 content of the lyrics is certainly more quaint. Like there's no like cutting people's heads off in Motley Crue songs as far as I'm aware. But Motley Crue songs are were actually like on the radio as far as I understand. Whereas yep. like uh you know, nowadays you're not going to get like a disembowelment song or like a cattle decapitation <laughs> yes. song on the radio. As fun as that would be. Oh yeah, as much as as much as I would love to to tune into my local pop radio station and get some cattle decapitation, that would be that would be a, a welcome change of events. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a hardcore vegan grindcore. <laughs> Oh, hey, I mean, like, it's it's grindcore. It would only take up about 28 seconds of your listening time. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the moral panic element is is definitely interesting because they... The way it's portrayed is actually very different from how uh, D. Snyder, like, conducted himself in his own trial. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in the movie, like, Sammy Kerr is, like, he's wearing, you know, the, the whole, like... Uh, hair metal, glam metal get yep. up basically, but he's also being very combative and like not acting like a uh, you know like a sophisticated person that mm-hmm. you're supposed to act like in court. Whereas D. Snyder has gone on the record talking about now he made a point of like representing himself in a quite uh, you know like a quite upstanding sort of way, I guess, mm-hmm. and like made a point of acting like a lawyer and like not in the way that. Uh, you know, Sammy Kerr is like saying, you know, we're going to take you down or whatever to the to the judge. Yeah. Yeah. And I you can so you can find I'll link to this in the show notes as well. But you can find um, on, on YouTube and probably other platforms the entire video recording of D. Snyder's testimony. 
And I, I think it is it is really interesting to watch just in general how, I mean, a hair metal artist navigates that space and how he also kind of trounces all of the government officials trying to, like, argue that hair metal is a threat to contemporary American society. Yeah, and I think there are there are definitely um, like parallels with like the current trans panic in the United States, particularly. Obviously, these things are global phenomenon, right? Like mm-hmm. stuff happens in Australia and the UK as well, quite famously. But like the, looking at a movie handling like a moral panic in this way, with all the uh, the associations with like Satanism and that kind of thing, there's uh, know, it has a certain resonance that you can't you you can't get around and i think that's something that winds up being kind of like weirdly discursively important about the film trick-or-treat which is i'm I'm literally looking at the uh uh, uh the cassette for the trick-or-treat soundtrack right now as, as i'm talking about this because i actually own that <laughs> but like uh, oh my God. i know i know with some of those songs some of these the, there's a fake band that they made an entire soundtrack for and some of the songs are more catchy than they have any right to be but like, the, so like, broadly speaking, the right kind of thrives on creating these moral panics because that allows them to open the door to, to further oppression. You know, we could, we could see that here in the United States with everything that the, you know, the current assault on trans rights isn't just trans rights. You know, they're going after the queer community more broadly. You're starting to see, you know, far right, quote unquote, thinkers trying to push conservative dress codes for women i think it was the state of missouri just legislated an official dress code for women who serve in the state uh state government and it's like it's jesus they're they're trying it's it's always an attempt to create a pathway into greater repressions right The, the the metal thing was was a bit of a failed start that one didn't really kick off but if that one would have continued like it's only one layer of extrapolation to go like, oh, these metal bands are bad because they wear makeup. Men who wear makeup are bad. And now we're we're right back to square one of assaulting queer rights. Like like this is this is a classic yeah, right wing playbook thing. You just have to generate some kind of cultural enemy to split the efforts of the working class. Yeah. And like moral panics can often like it helps to look at or to even speculate if you want to go there about what they might be. Like, what's the actual target that mm-hmm. they're sort of going for? Like, like you said, obviously, like trans people are a genuine target, but at the end of the day, like it is the queer community more broadly, right? Like, even fairly traditional, like what we consider now to be settled issues, like gay marriage yeah. and stuff, those can always be taken back, right? Oh, absolutely. So with the metal moral panic, you can, you can, uh, I don't know, like they could be aiming for either traditional gender roles, mm-hmm. you know, because like metal. Uh, metal musicians and metal fans often had long hair. Yeah. Like I, I didn't get bullied in school for having long hair, but I was like one of the few boys with long hair, and there was definitely like a certain amount of attention in that. Yep. Um, or they could be going for just like youth culture in general, or like uh, you know, youth culture that's not the the that doesn't kind of uphold like middle class traditional mores. Yeah, and all, all of these, all of these, just function as wedges, right? You know, you open the door a crack, and it's easy to push it open a lot further, right? Like they, they, they can branch off very quickly to some very scary places. You know, like like we're seeing today, it started with a scary issue, and now it's just getting much, much scarier as the kind of assault on trans rights is now. You know, now we've got conservatives are talking about rolling back gay marriage conservatives are talking about rolling back gender equality and like it's it's the classic playbook you give them an inch they take a mile like that is that's how it operates and it's interesting to see like yeah i i guess one of one of the less successful attempts at that of of roping in d snyder and twisted sister (laughs) yeah it is very funny looking back at it but I mean, like, I, I think I. I but, um, again, oh, go on, like, go on, go on. Oh, I, I was going to say, like, like we talked about in the pre-show, like the back, uh, back masking, as it's called, is like mm-hmm. is kind of an artifact of its time. But there was also like the moral panic about that, you know. I think um, was it Led Zeppelin? I think was like the yep. first one that was yep. speculated as to having like stuff that you could play backwards i can't remember what song it was isn't when you play backwards doesn't it say something like my sweet sweet satan or something like that i'm trying to remember that one correctly 
Okay. But it's, it's something it's something spooky and evil. Yeah. But was it was uh Led Zeppelin's backmasking, was that a genuine thing or was that like invented because someone it's like Jesus in the toast, you know? I I, th- I do believe that was a Jesus in the toast moment, but uh I honestly don't know for sure if that was intentional or otherwise. I think that's one of those like Okay. I, because I heard that as kind of the uh, uh, mythologized story of like, oh, you can play this this Led Zeppelin record backwards, and they say stuff about Satan because they sold their souls to get their rock and roll power. The kind of like classic, almost cinematic narrative that you hear about so many sex, successful rock and metal musicians. Yeah. And like backmasking, like the idea of it is kind of useful to the moral panic because it's all about, um, you know, like, like it's like, uh, what if music works by like contagion, right? Which mm-hmm. almost kind of happens in the film. But, you know, it's like, oh, if you play this thing, that means it's going to like infect you like a virus and you're going to transmit it to someone else. Like this whole like social contagion idea that right wingers like currently like to draw upon. And, and right wing right-wing talking points and kind of like we were talking about how a lot of uh white supremacist black metal bands will use uh fascist imagery and lyrics and then you know create a space of plausible deniability for themselves by saying like whoa no it's we're it's just riffs man we're just we're just using spooky imagery Mm -hmm. to to be edgy and to drive drive ourselves into obscurity you know whatever they want to say when like that's that's just giving them they're they're still a Nazi band, right? They're, they're just creating a deniability that centrists can buy into, and I think we see the same thing with a, like backmasking is a great example of this for conservative panic discourses, because that that also thrives on that space of plausible deniability. Because like it almost does not matter if Led Zeppelin intentionally creates backmasking, because now you can have conservative groups attempting to curtail popular rights by arguing towards this right by using this as an example it's the same with pizzagate right like it doesn't matter if there's a secret uh, child slavery complex beneath a, beneath a pizza restaurant conservatives can use that as a discursive item to assault their enemies and even like in the context of metal because like metal metal is extremely gay <laughs> as as a musical genre like something you were just bringing up like I just thought like you wrote Judas Priest down in the notes for our like metal panic discourse zone. Um, and like yeah. one of the things like, like, like one of the ubiquitous pieces of, of the metal ensemble, right? The thing that you wear if you're a hardcore metal musician is, is gay community leather fetish gear. Like, like the, the yes. suit that you don, if you're the hardest of the hard is something that would be appropriate at like a leather bear sex party. And like that, that is literally where that stuff comes from. Like that, that's how it got its way into metal, you know, like. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, I, I, I have this specific memory in my mind of like buying a Judas Priest compilation album as a teenager that had the band on the front of it with like, you know, Rob Halford and like the leather daddy get up basically. Um, and you know, I showed my parents, and my parent, my parents are not right wing or conservative in the slightest. They just thought it was funny, right? Because I didn't understand that, or like, I, I don't know, I would have been like fourteen, I think, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that a leather daddy thing was quite a clear like convention in like gay, uh, you know, like gay culture. But they did, so they kind of looked at me like, "Oh, what's going on there?" But like, you know, <laughs> I just saw it as, "Oh, I like this band. I want to buy this," right? Oh, oh, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Um, but that, I think this goes and, to like... Um, oh, go on, go on, go on, please. I was going to say, talking about like Judas Priest and moral panics, like I, there was a moral panic about Judas Priest specifically. And like um, like you said earlier about how it doesn't matter if Led Zeppelin intended to backmask mm-hmm. their tracks or not. Um, the Judas Priest controversy was about I think it was a fan of theirs who had committed suicide mm-hmm. and they, there was no mention of the, uh, of the band, I think in any note left, yeah. people just knew they were a fan and people looked at this one specific track by Judas Priest, the name of which I forget, but it just said like, do it twice in yep. the song, mm-hmm. which that could mean 
you know, fucking anything. Right. But because you have to look at any wedge that you can get against like youth culture and against metal in general, mm-hmm. but you use that as the one kind of discursive focus, right? You are trying to infect our children with like with uh suicidal ideation or something. Oh yeah, and if we want to like you like we we could say the same thing about Marilyn Manson uh post the Columbine high school shooting here in the United States. Rather than yeah. looking at yeah. more material issues like the availability of guns, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like like the actual material causes of these events, what drove those kids to do that? Oh, well, they had some Marilyn Manson posters, so clearly it's the fault of of this goofy goth musician guy. Like and mm. and that like I mean like that serves a very important cultural role for like these hegemonic forces because if they can get everybody worried about like, oh well is your teenage son listening to Marilyn Manson? Because that could be a sign that something bad is going on rather than a conversation of like, why can teenagers buy assault rifles, <laughs> right? Like much more serious, much more <laughs> material issues that have economic consequences, right? It's kind of like the bread and butter of left political discussion, right? Just classic materialism. You know, we we're we're stuck fighting about like, like, oh, is it bad that your son has a Rob Halford poster? Question mark. Rather than discussing, like, uh, is it bad that like a single parent can't rent an apartment in any city in the United States? You know, which, which one of those is generating more psychic yeah, exactly. turmoil? Um, and this is this is this is totally unrelated to to well, okay, tangentially unrelated to metal. Although there are some overlaps that are beyond the scope of this discussion. But there's an amazing interview between Insane Clown Posse. Um, and a and a uh, 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 Sean Hannity, a Fox News host, and and Hannity okay. is is clearly trying to bait them into into saying stuff that's going to screw them over because this is insane clown posse, right? These are guys that did not get out of high school, you know, and so Hannity is like, oh, I'm I'm going to wreck them, and like insane Cl- the 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 two singers of Insane Clown Posse, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope, just eat him alive. They, 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 they're just logically and discursively running circles around him because they're focused on material issues in this conversation. They're focused on like what's going on in like the lives of troubled kids, what's leading them to these points. Uh, Marilyn Manson also has an interview where he does the same thing. These are all echoing D. Snyder's um, congressional hearing, right, where he's like he's focused on these more material things that like cut through that obfuscation that this kind of like center right force is trying to levy against these artists. Yeah, absolutely. And to like return to the kind of trans panic that we talked about before, like it's, as you said, it's anything to kind of like obfuscate material forces or like material causes of things. I don't want to sound too much like a vulgar Marxist oh, always yes. carrying on about idealism, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what, like, that's kind of the conclusion that you have to draw, right? Like it's any, uh, it's anything to avoid talking about material reality. Oh, a- absolutely. 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 I just, I just keep thinking like, this is, this is all to get us to not have the thought. What if the Teamsters went on a national strike t- against these anti-trans laws? <laughs> You know, like, oh, what? Yeah. What about that? What if? What if? Uh, uh, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, like the the NBA union went on strike in support of trans people or something. Like, all all of these conversations yeah, are to get us I to collectively that. never think that. <laughs> yeah, I I remember seeing that kind of viral post on Twitter that was like, oh, if you have any problem, block a port. And I'm like, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> 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 I mean that is how it works. Like you can laugh at like the meme quality of it, but that is how it works. That 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 is a little oversimplified, sure, and it's funny, but it is also damn true. Oh, uh, one thing that you wrote down in the notes that I thought was really interesting was the heavy metal persecution complex. So uh, this is kind of present from basically like the first scene in the movie, like um, the the main character Ragman, right? Hilarious mm-hmm. pseudonym. Yep. But the main character, Ragman, is kind of writing a letter to Sammy, uh, Sammy Kerr, like his kind of idol who came from the same high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think he specifically says, he specifically writes the quote, like, it's us against the world or some, something like that. Yeah. And I think, like, partly because of these moral panics that we've talked about and partly because of the 
kind of position of like the musicians and, and the listenership like historically heavy metal has often had this idea that it is it's like the, the heavy metal is the institution that should be like defended from the the rest of the world more or less like we kind of the there's a kind of discourse in metal that like oh we are like the true believers like we are the true units and it's everybody else who should be uh discarded which is kind of what the musician in uh like the, it's kind of what sammy kerr thinks over the course of over the course of the movie and that he's the bad guy by the end that i think is really interesting that he he kind of becomes the villain in this story and, and that fits so well into like this idea of like one of the things that I, th- I found to be really interesting is kind of like on on a formal level in cinema you you've got this like almost this quantum imposition of the metalhead high schooler where they will either be uh, this, this absolute nerd or uh, who's bullied and picked on and persecuted, or they will themselves be the bully. Like I'm thinking of the bullies in like Casper for some reason are like depicted as like these, these, these like pseudo hip hop, pseudo metal, like random, like mishmash of edgy youth cultures new metal teens uh, yeah yeah essentially 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 they're limp biscuit fans is is the villain in the casper movie <laughs> um but, but that is that is really interesting to me that that specifically in this time period we've got like you know like off the heels of d snyder testifying before congress we've got that like you know there there there, there are some legitimate elements to to metal like internally viewing itself as a persecuted genre especially historically and I think, um, I think in part that's due to like the the background of a lot of people in the genre. Like, obviously, there's a lot of difference here, but metal has typically been like quite white and quite male, and uh, you know, heterosexual. Like, besides Rob Halford, who we've talked about. Um, mm-hmm. But there, I, I I think we can kind of associate it with like a lot of uh people talk that a lot of white men are like losing uh kind of social standing i suppose Mm -hmm. and so you end up taking this like defensive stance and i feel like in part this might be more of a thing specifically for black metal that i'm kind of projecting onto all of heavy metal but at least in black metal like there is quite a bit of this idea that uh we you know the assumed white male listenership mm-hmm. are kind of losing social power and that it should be defended or yeah. returned to like you know the 1500s or something <laughs> which is definitely what conservatives are fighting for that's that's at least demonstrably true oh yeah yeah and, and i think i mean like and, and again like we're seeing like conservative discourses love moving things away from material issues, right? Because material issues are kind of discursively never in their favor. Um, um, it's legitimately like, you know, like the Republicans and the Tories, like they're the parties of making things worse for people. <laughs> yes. We, I guess like there's a bit I'd, I'd like to mention as well in there oh, yeah. about, um, yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. Hang on. It's, it, it's quite late. Let me kind of think for a moment. Oh, take all the time. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, you can you can almost see you can almost think of the movie as Ragman like graduating from being like the stereotypical uh, shitty like t- white male teenage metalhead almost mm-hmm. with this kind of like heroic fascination with metal's figures. Right by the end of the by the end of the movie, he doesn't really have that anymore. He's He's literally killed his hero as like as at the climax of the film. And I think for people who have been listening to metal from a very young age, that's often a process that you do genuinely go through. Yeah. It's like you start uh, kind of idolizing these like romantic figures. And then, you know, it might take years, but by the end of the process, I know like it's just music, like uh, not that it's just music, but like it is music. And I, I acknowledge that I'm indebted to these people, you know, for the art that they mm-hmm. produce. But at the end of the day, they they shouldn't be heroes, I suppose. Like in, in black metal, like a lot of black metal people never really get over that. You just kind mm-hmm. of get attached to like Varg, the kind of a neo-Nazi, as I said. And you're like, he is my personal hero because of the music. 
right? And you can ignore all of those uh, different political issues that we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I did not think of it that way uh, until you just said that. And I think that's like a really uh, almost hopeful proto-utopian way of looking at the 1986 weird little metal movie Trick or Treat. I, I think that's really important. Thank <laughs> uh, especially um because the, when you were saying that the thing that popped into my mind first was the ending and the ending ragman kind of this this teenage boy who just defeated the kind of uh the the electric demon ghost of sammy kerr right his his idol his hero right <laughs> it it ends with ragman uh becoming the the radio dj playing metal right like like it's the the final showdown happens at the radio station Gene Simmons, who plays uh, the kind of like Wolfman-esque uh, disc jockey, has been killed at this point. And Ragman, Ragman takes the throne. He's now the radio DJ, right? He's now a, a, you know, like creator. He's an artist. He's in that space, right? He's kind of elevated himself from someone who's like worshiping this artist and this this kind of creative person that he that he loved to to something more of an equal, something more of a peer. You know, like he's he's inserted himself into the material process of the creation of art and and thereby has like yeah. ceased to just like worship these random aesthetic variables that he'd been chasing around the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And like you're no longer. Yeah, you're no longer like a genre obsessive and like completely kind of um, how do I put it? kind of completely victim to like what uh what the genre is willing to do to you instead you're like an active part in that process which mm -hmm. is something that I, I i very much like like i said i am i'm definitely trying to like find more positive readings of this than could exist but i genuinely <laughs> did appreciate that and i saw uh in that kind of in uh ragman's trajectory over the course of the movie i did genuinely see a lot of myself in that and a lot of how uh, my book kind of treats black metal, right? Is like you mm -hmm. can you can look at the history of it and you can look at the figures, but don't become indebted to them. Oh, absolutely! And I think that's I think that's kind of a be beautiful sentiment to kind of close out on, right? That we 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 have this history, and especially in the context of black metal, and and more broadly in our own society, that's often ruled by center right or further right capitalistic forces, like. There's there's a lot of less than appealing stuff, shall we say? There's a lot of horrible things, but we we can nevertheless like rise above that history. We could do things with that history, like we can as Ragman exceed the limitations put on us by our our would be would be Faustian lords, and you know take take the helm of creation. <laughs> Oh, this is such an uplifting movie here at the end. Oh, I know. I did not expect it. <laughs> I'm all about it. We went trick-or-treating, and instead of tricks, we got we got little treats, and those treats were feeling positive about the world. <laughs> <laughs> positive uh, about the middle scene, which can be uh which can be fairly rare. I yeah, but as you know, your book I think is is such an important step to to kind of I don't want to necessarily necessarily say correcting with that because I do strongly agree with you that like black metal can't be reclaimed, but it can be possessed or something, you know, like like there's a way to put new life in that yeah. body. And your book, along with like bands like Dawn Raid and Feminazgul and, and RABM in general, like they're they're doing that incredibly important cultural work. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for coming on Horror Vanguard to discuss Trick or Treat. <laughs> um, and if you... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, do, do you have any closing closing thoughts? And definitely, um, if you could remind our listeners where they can find you, the title of your book, and there'll be links to everything down in the show notes. Sure. Um, again, my name is Bill Peel. The book is Tonight, It's a World We Bury, Black Metal, Red Politics, um, for repeater books. Uh, and yeah, find me on Twitter at young Euronymous. That's, that's it. Again, um, amazing handle. <laughs> yeah. I, I have nothing else to plug. No, I've had a very, I've had a very good time. It was a fairly unorthodox episode of the show. Like I'm fairly <laughs> familiar with it, but yeah, had a really good time.
Hey, we like to have fun. We like to have fun here. I'm glad you had a good time and you're welcome back. You're welcome back in the HV Crypt whenever you would like. Thanks very much. Well, thank you everyone uh, for joining us for today's episode of Horror Vanguard. And uh, I don't know, go listen to some RABM. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.